Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Uh, If you've been coming to our church for any period of time, you've heard Dale say that in order to marry Beth, he had to make a deal with her daddy that he promised every single summer to bring her back to Texas. Every single summer. And so for me to marry uh, my wife, Leah, which today is actually our anniversary. Happy 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. So she's not here right now, but Leah, happy anniversary. See you later. Um, to marry my wife, Leah, means that I have to take my wife to the Outer Banks of North Carolina every single year. Are there Outer Banks people here? Yeah, my people, OBX, right? So we go every single year. Her family has been going for 38 years. Uh, just unbelievable tradition that they have. Uh, so here's a couple pictures just from family stuff. Here's a picture of all the grandkids. Uh, yep, yeah, so that's, we, we kind of over contribute to this. There's our four kids and then their cousin, Amelia. Everyone else is catching up a little bit. And uh, so they just beautiful beach house that we rented right on the beach. They're right on the sand, dude. So that's great. Here's a picture of Leah and baby Asa. Just, I know, super cute. His first time at the Outer Banks. It was a lot, a lot of fun. It was great. Great time to just be away. I'm sure as many of you who might be away, a lot of people are in and out during summer. A lot of people might be streaming online. You might be on vacation too. So it was a great time. And it's great to be back with you guys. Good to be home. It's good to be home. Yeah. Now, uh, because this is summertime, that means, yes, it's vacation time. It means it's 4th of July time, one of my favorite holidays of the year, because I eat, get to eat copious amounts of hot dogs. Um, I love hot dogs. Oh, yeah. Um, it's time for fireworks. It's time for uh, summer blockbusters. Summertime is a great time. I love summer. Freshly cut watermelon. I mean, come on. Swimming pool parties. Who loves summertime? Yeah, it's great. So another hallmark of summertime um, is actually it's Hall of Fame season for a lot of American sports. Um, so uh, actually next weekend is the induction ceremony for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Where's my baseball fans at? All right, so baseball fans. So here's a picture of Cooperstown, New York. And this is uh, a picture of the Baseball Hall of Fame here. And uh, the criteria to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame is usually some round number statistical achievement, like 300 wins, 500 home runs, 3,000 hits, something like that. Uh, they only have one inductee this year. It's David Ortiz of the Red Sox because it's, uh, you know, my Sox people. Ugh, Okay. <laughs> Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, they only have one inductee this year because the steroid era in baseball made a lot of that complicated. And so the people who vote people in, there's a lot of people who are eligible, were cheaters, so they don't know what to do with that right now. Um, so that's baseball. Here's a picture of the football hall of fame, pro football hall of fame in Canton, Ohio. Where's my football people at? Yeah, my people, my people. So this is the pro football hall of fame, in Canton, Ohio. The criteria to get into the pro Football Hall of Fame is similar. Sometimes it's statistical achievements uh, like tackles, sacks, touchdowns, catches, yards, wins. Uh, Most importantly in the Pro Football Hall of Fame is Super Bowl wins, more so than in baseball's championships with football. It's definitely about uh, uh, major championship wins, Super Bowl wins. There's also an element with the Pro Football Hall of Fame of individual accolades for the criteria to get in. Were you a pro bowler? Were you an MVP? Were you an all-pro? That type 
of thing. Their induction ceremony is in the first weekend of August or first week of August, something like that, Pro Football Hall of Fame game and all that jazz. So there's baseball, there's football, and then there's a Hall of Fame that's closest to my heart in particular, and it's the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah. Now, now this year, this year, now a lot of people, at the first service, people went, ugh, they just groaned. Like, when will he ever give this up? The answer is he will never give this up. So, um, and the WWE Hall of Fame, what's the criteria to get into that Hall of Fame? Because, you know, it's planned and, you know, it's entertainment and, and whatever. Well, the criteria for that is creativity, popularity, drawing power, impact, uh, cultural impact, all that stuff. This past year, they had the biggest inductee ever, ever, ever in the history of the Hall of Fame of the WWE. The most popular wrestlers of all time, like Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Dwayne The Rock Johnson and John Cena. You can't see me, all that, right? Um, but the, the most revered wrestler of all time, of all wrestling fans ever, 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 ever is none other than the Lord of Darkness, the Undertaker himself. Man, yes, right? Yes, and so um, he gave one of the best Hall of Fame speeches I've ever heard. It was, it was like part Hall of Fame speech, part TED Talk. And um, you can YouTube it if you want, if you want to waste half hour of your life. I've already watched it multiple times, so I'll tell you about it. <laughs> and uh, one of the most awesome things, total side note, has nothing to do with the message. Total side note that was super cool about the Undertaker's induction speech for the Hall of Fame was uh, he began at one point to thank his wife. And he thanked her for loving him, for marrying him, for their children, all that stuff. And then he thanked her for the most important thing she has ever done for him. And the undertaker, seven foot tall, covered in tattoos, long black hair, sends a cold chill down anybody's spine when he walks in the room. This guy, when speaking to his wife, got tears in his eyes, and began to cry, telling her, thank you for the most important thing you've ever done for me, reintroducing me to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Lord of darkness confessed the lordship of Jesus Christ to millions. Come on, that's awesome. This is super important because I've heard many of you say, many of your friends say, I can't go to church. The walls will cave in if I walk in. Or I can't go to church. The, the floor will set on fire if I walk in. Let me tell you, if he can follow Jesus, it's a piece of cake for any of us. Okay? Now, so that's all good and fun. But why am I talking about all this nonsense? Well, because today the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at here in a minute is actually the Hall of Fame of Faith. Did you know that in the Bible, there's a chapter specifically which functions as the Hall of Fame for Christ followers uh, and for just uh, believers in the God of the Bible? And it lists them. It's just an incredible chapter. And this is what we're going to be looking at today in just a few moments. So, so what we're doing in this series, specifically in this month, it's kind of a tradition in Community of Hope that we always do this during the summer, is that we have a Bible reading plan that we're doing together as a church, where we start and just read a chapter of Scripture a day. It's called The Word of God Speak. There are different parts to it. We just started part three a couple weeks ago. If you don't have it yet, here's a QR code on the screen. And QR code, da, 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 da. So you can point your phone at that and scan that, or it's just really in the CUH app, and you can just go click on that, and you can start the, the plan and jump in with us. You don't have to start at the beginning. You just start right now. Start today. Start tomorrow. Just start with us. Read a chapter a day with us. What we do for the methodology for how we read the Bible and how we journal through it together is we use an acronym called SOAP, which stands for Scripture, Observation, 
application prayer. So we tell people to read the Word of God, speak Bible reading plan. You read chapter of Scripture, you pick one verse or one thought, if it's over a couple verses. You write some observations about what you see in the text. You ask God, God, how do you want to apply this to my life and make it personal? So it's not just religious. It's personal, what God's saying to me, and then you have a prayer at the end. This is the format for what I'm going to attempt to do today is to share with you guys my soap journal um, and kind of sermon format for uh, the passage of Scripture that we read this week. Now, certainly, uh, when I journal, I don't fill out a whole sermon, so I've expanded this today for some teaching. I'm going to give you the bones of what I did for my journal. So the passages this past week were Hebrews 7 through Hebrews 13, just one a day, all the way to Hebrews 13. The teaching team decided to journal on Hebrews chapter 11. And we focused on verses 13 through 16. But for the sake of context, what we're going to do is we're going to read from verse 1 all the way through verse 16. And I'm going to share with you what I learned this week and what God was sharing with me and may apply to you. All right, so Hebrews 11, 1, this is what the word says. It says here, faith, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what, so what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous and when God spoke well of his, and God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he commended the world. He condemned the world, excuse me. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man... And he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now the verses for what we journaled from. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Lord, we're trying to hear your voice in your word. 
Would you be so gracious to breathe your spirit fresh upon all of community of hope this morning here in person, online, and across our campuses? That your word would speak to us. We just don't open our eyes. Would you give us grace to open our spiritual ears and our hearts to receive? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said, amen. Amen. All right, let's talk observation. Observation. Okay, remember going so S-O-O for observation. So a little bit of background about the book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author is. It's anonymous. It could have been Paul, could have been Apollos, could have been somebody else. Uh, It's written to uh, Hebrew Christians, people who are Jewish, who have become followers of Jesus, because it assumes there's extensive knowledge of the Old Testament. It doesn't do any explaining. It's just giving lots of references to the Old Testament. So it assumes the people they're writing to are Jewish followers of Jesus. It's not written to any people in a particular section of, uh, of the ancient world. It's written generally to people. So there's different uh, books of the New Testament that are written to certain cities like Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians. This is Hebrews, and it's part of the category in the second later part of the New Testament called the general epistles because it's written to a general group of people. The main purposes of this book is to show that Jesus is superior as a messenger, a mediator, a minister, a promise keeper. And the second purpose of this book is to help people and encourage people to not give up on faith and to not walk away from Jesus. Now, this is super important today because it's actually um, a fad right now, and it's in for people to walk away from Jesus, to critique faith, and totally abandon the faith. So this is super relevant for us today. If you identify as a follower of Jesus, this really matters to you, and this is something that's red hot in our culture right now, the ability to persevere and not give up. So the passage initially starts with verse one, where he's talking about what is the criteria to make it into the hall of fame of faith. We know about the criteria to make it into baseball, into football, and into WWE. What's the criteria to make it into this hall of fame? Well, verses one and two says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The criteria to make it in is faith. Faith is not an intellectual assent to something where do you believe in Jesus, check yes or check no. Faith is about confidence. Faith is about assurance. Faith is really about this. It's not so much your intellectual assent to any sort of doctrinal ideas. Faith is big trust that you believe Jesus is exactly who he says he is and that he will do exactly what he says he will do. Big faith is big trust. That's what gets people in the Hall of Fame is big trust trust in God. And you can see here, this is what the ancients were commended for. This is the criteria to make it in to the hall of fame of faith. So it begins, talks about Abel, talks about Noah, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and even Sarah. And then we get to verse 13, where the author takes a little excursion from instead of just talking about every inductee to this hall of fame, he pauses to talk about them. He goes on here in verse 13. This really surprised me, and this is why I wanted to journal on this this week. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They were all living by big trust when they died. To the very end, they never gave up their big trust. Check this out. They did not receive the things promised. When you read that, that should make you stop. When you read that, that should make you pause, go, really? The greatest people in the history of faith 
the greatest people in the history of the Bible were the people who did not receive things that were promised to them? Well, that seems odd. These are the Hall of Famers. These are the ones who make the stuff happen, who make the miracles happen, who part the Red Sea, who slay giants, who have victories and overthrow kingdoms. And These are the people who get the stuff done. How are they the ones that did not receive the things promised? Man, that's weird. That's weird. I think when we read that and we get confused and about what is the nature of big faith and what that does actually in our lives. One of the ways I want to illustrate that to you, I want to show you a picture of um, some traffic lights. So here's some traffic lights. All right, so um, I want you to rewind that you're back in driver's ed, okay? Rewind that you're back in driver's ed. Let's have a little bit of quiz, a little quiz here. What does green mean? Good job. You get a cookie. Okay. What does red mean? What does yellow mean? I kid you not. I know, right? I kid you not. When I took my driver's ed class, I took it from two crotchety old main track coaches who just hated their life and hated teenagers. And when they taught us this, when they taught us, Johnston, what what does green mean? Go. What does red mean? Stop. What does yellow mean? Uh. Uh, and then he would go, he goes, it means make up your mind. Johnston, you're an idiot. And that's, that's what happens. So anytime I'm driving on the road and I make a mistake, Leah just says, Johnston, you're an idiot. And I'm right back in. I'm right back in the driver's ed. So this is actually a great analogy for faith and for things like prayer. Like how does faith express itself in prayer? So like in prayer, green means if you pray and you have faith that God says yes to your prayers. And Who loves getting yeses from God? Oh, answer prayers are the best. A yellow light in prayer means God says to somebody, wait, hold on. Sometimes God makes people wait for answers in prayer. And occasionally, sometimes a red light means no from God in prayer. God always answers prayer. Just sometimes the answer is no, unfortunately. So here's the thing why I'm talking about this with faith and the Hall of Fame and how these people didn't receive things that were promised. We always think, well, the greatest people of faith, the people, the strongest faith, the biggest faith, the best Christians, the best followers of Jesus, they're the ones who get more green lights than anybody else. They're the ones who make things happen. But what this passage is showing us is challenging that notion that these people are commended for their faith, they're heroes. And their lives were full of yellow and red lights from God. That's confounding to me. They did not receive the things that were promised. Anybody here feel like there are things that you're waiting on from God that you're struggling with? Maybe it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. Maybe it doesn't mean that you're not struggling, you're not good enough. Maybe you're in really good company. So you have to ask yourself, so if they had big faith, not to just get green lights, but faith that was able to endure yellow and red lights from God. I've heard somebody say one time that they're not impressed by a type of faith that arm wrestles green lights out of God. They're impressed by the type of faith that is able to endure a yellow or red from God. So how do these people, the heroes of the faith, endure not receiving the things that was promised 
yet? Does that mean God was not faithful? Does that mean God doesn't answer prayer? What is the, what is the context for all this? So if you keep reading, it helps us understand what is happening in their faith and in their perspective. Let's go to the second half of verse 13. So Hebrews 11, verse 13b. So they did not receive the things that were promised. Then it goes on and says, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. This is a huge component of what big Hall of Fame faith looks like. To understand that you are a foreigner and stranger on earth. This is a huge biblical concept. A huge archetype all throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, being a foreigner and a stranger was a literal thing. Like we read it earlier. Abraham was literally a foreigner in a new land that God had promised him. But in the New Testament, the authors of those, those books of scripture take that same metaphor and they apply it spiritually to followers of Jesus. Like look here. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17. He said this, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Same concept. The flip side of this, instead of saying you're a foreigner and a stranger, the flip side of it is to understand that your citizenship isn't here on earth. It's in heaven. Paul wrote this in Philippians 3. He says here, but our citizenship, here it is, is in heaven. It's not here on earth. It's not here in this country, here in this county. Our citizenship is here in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a massive concept, not just all throughout scripture, but it is all over every single chapter in the book of Hebrews. It keeps going on. So we read verse 13. Let's go back to our passage. Let's read the rest of 14 through 16. And so he goes on to say, these are the people who did not receive the things promised. They saw themselves as foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Do you see it? Keep going. It says, for they have been thinking of, for if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they'd have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. A country, a city, a heavenly kingdom. This is all pointing towards the deep scriptural truths that Jesus has prepared a place for everybody who identifies as a follower of him and gives their life to him. And she asks him to forgive their sins, to atone for their sin, to invite him into their heart, to live by faith, and to live out their life serving him in this world so that they may enter into the world to come. Here's ultimately what all of this means. How does big faith endure yellow and red lights from God? It's learning to say one thing. And this is the one thing I want you to learn and begin to practice today. They learn to say this phrase. This is not my home. This is not my home. Learning to say this will give you perspective to persevere in faith. Learning to say this phrase will give you perseverance of faith. This will keep your faith, strengthen your faith, help you to go on when you want to quit. 
This phrase, this is not my home, is what put people in the hall of fame of faith. If we learn to practice this for ourselves, we'll live a life that will bring honor and glory to God. And as a result, God will commend you for living life like this. This is not my home. So that's observation. So that's only the first half of the journal, right? So what happens to application? So this is where I would write my journal, application, and I put a colon, and I would say, God, how do you want to apply this to my life? And when I paused, and I just listened with my heart, I felt a nudge in my heart. I don't have like a red phone to heaven. I don't have a booming voice out of the sky, but I got impressions from my heart that I believe is the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And this is what the Spirit shared with me. I'm just being honest with you guys, what he said to me. But Lord, they said, this is not my home. How do you want to apply this to my life? I felt like God said to me, Trevor, don't get too comfortable here. That's really hard for me personally, because I love being comfortable. I don't necessarily mean I like being bougie, but I like being comfortable. I was the kid growing up when uh, I would have a temper tantrum when I was a small child, not when I was 16, but like, you know, three. Uh, when I was ha- a small child and I was going to have a temper tantrum, my mom told me that when I was about to fall apart, I would leave the kitchen, find where there was carpet in the house, and then throw myself on the floor and totally have a temper tantrum. I'm still kind of that way. I hate being uncomfortable. And so the Lord says to me, Trevor, don't get too comfortable here. That's important for me. Because big problems happen when followers of Jesus confuse where their real home is. With Leah's family, we go to the Outer Banks of North Carolina for vacation. For my family, a couple years before uh, I even married Leah, which today is my anniversary. Isn't that cool? Yeah, 13 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Leah's Leah's not here this morning, but we'll celebrate some other time. when, uh, for before Leah and I were married, my parents invested in a timeshare type of a thing with Marriott. They said, one day our boys are going to be married and we're going to have grandchildren. And this is a way where we can vacation, do at different spots. And we think this will be a good investment for our family. And so, uh, in June, we took a couple days and went with the Johnson side of the family. I went to a Marriott and stayed with my brother and his daughters and his wife and us and all the kids. It was a big Johnson family vacation. It was a super nice hotel resort type of thing. It was great. And we stayed there for a week. Now, wouldn't it have been weird if at the end of the week, if my kids loved it so much there that we began to go, you know what, let's just move in. And we put pictures of our family all around and change some of the artwork and we began painting some of the walls and the room surface comes in and like, what are you doing here? Like, we're moving in. Is, that not, is there something wrong with that? Like, yeah, somebody else is coming in a few moments. You don't live here. You're only staying here for a week. It would be weird, wouldn't it? It would be weird because it's temporary. This is temporary. Followers of Jesus, when we confuse where our home is and we confuse what's eternal for what's temporary, you begin to invest in the wrong things. And it does things to your faith. I heard a phrase a couple weeks ago that goes like this. It's talking just generally across the span of human history. It says this, hard times make for strong men and women. Don't be offended. Strong men and women. Hard times make for strong men. Strong men make good times. 
Good times make weak men, and weak men make hard times. Do you hear that? If you're a follower of Jesus, hear me. Good times can make for weak Christians because you confuse where your home is and you get too comfortable and you start majoring on the minors and you invest your time and your energy and your money in things that aren't eternal. So go back to the word from God for me. So I felt like he was saying, Trevor, don't get too comfortable here. You're not moving in. It's temporary. So that's what God was saying to me. Now, as a pastor, I know that not everybody who's listening here this morning online or here in this room is going through good times and comfortable times. You're getting to go on vacations with family. I know for some of you, you're walking through a living hell. And so I have a word for the hurting here this morning too. My job as a pastor is to afflict the comforted and to make you uncomfortable. And it's to comfort the afflicted. And so for somebody who's hurting, whose life is a living hell here today too, I want you to hear from me, learning to say in your pain, in your grief, in your loss, in your sicknesses, in your bad diagnoses, in your empty bank account, in your depression, in your hurting, in your sorrow, you have to learn how to say as a follower of Jesus, this is not my home. There's a new song that came out a couple weeks ago. It's called Fear Is Not My Future. And this is how the chorus goes. I want to read it to you. I'm not going to sing it to you. You're welcome. <laughs> but it says this, fear is not my future. Jesus, you are. Sickness is not my story. You are. Heartbreak is not my home. You are. Death is not the end. Jesus, you are. And so for the person who's hurting today, who's afraid today, who's anxious today, who's empty today, Jesus has a word for you. He wants to remind you, this is not your home. And he has a better one prepared for you. Amen? So the Hall of Fame concludes this way. You go through all the heroes of the faith and he keeps going on this theme that this is not their home and this is what they understood and this is what they understood. It's not their home. And then it concludes not at the end of chapter 11, but the first three verses of chapter 12 that we read the very next day. And it concludes with the greatest person in the hall of fame, the number one inductee in the hall of fame, the perfecter of faith in the Christian journey. And it begins with this. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses of hall of fame, big faith believers in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the father of Jesus Christ, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance. Don't quit. Don't give up the race marked out for us. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. This is not my home. 
and sat down in his true home at the right hand of the throne of God. Where he invites you and he invites me. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So when life is comfortable, fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember that this is not your home. And when life is hard, remember this is not your home. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? So this is where, this is where we close. Word of God, speak with a prayer. And so instead of me praying over you, my journal, I'm going to give you a moment to pray. So um, why don't you bow your heads. And just between you and God, whether you're online, whether you're here in the room, why don't you tell God, tell him where you're at. Is life good or is life hard or is it both? I want you to take a minute to remind yourself and to thank God that this is not your true home. For some of you, this is a moment of faith in prayer where you declare, this is not my home, over pain you're in, over sickness that's in your home, over terrible diagnosis you're dealing with, over crippling pain that you have, over a heartache or brokenness that you feel or a sorrow you're carrying. Declare it now in faith. This is not my home. Jesus, thank you. You are my home. Declare it now in faith in your own heart. Jesus of Nazareth, son of the living God, son of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, son of David. We thank you that you are the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for making a home for us that's eternal as we're passing through what's temporary. Help us to remember that and to not forget where our true home is. Give us perspective. Give us faith, give us trust so that we would endure. It's in your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Hey, listen, before I dismiss you, we have prayer teams up here. If you're hurting at all, you need prayer, come get some prayer this way before you head that way. Otherwise, God bless you. See you. And don't forget tonight at five, if you want to come back on our Vic and Kathy. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.